You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Today we are going to be starting a new message series, and it is set to last about 16 weeks, and there's going to be a few breaks for Easter and a few guest speakers that will be coming along, but we will probably be going into the, into the book of Philippians. We won't finish it until sometime into late May or early June. And going through a book like this, line by line, and just taking God's Word and just spending time on it and allowing God's Word to, to speak to us is one of the most powerful things I believe that a, a church can do. We can go to all kinds of different topics, and at times we will choose out certain topics and have a topic topical series, but just as we finished up the, the three W's last week, but going through the Word of God and just seeing the richness of it, and, and I'm saying 16 weeks, I was going to go through three verses today, instead we're only making it through one verse, because we, we're just going to run out of time, we would be here for three hours if, if we went through all three of the first few verses here, because even in the introduction, even in the first part of it, there is some, some sweet things, but we also need to know some of the background of this, because if we're going to spend this time in here, let's get to know the background of the book of Philippians. I encourage you in, in your daily devotions, I encourage you to take time throughout the week to read through this book. You can probably read through it depending what kind of a speed reader you are or aren't. Anywhere from 20 minutes to half an hour, uh, take and, and sometimes read it and, and it may take you 45 minutes and sometimes you just might concentrate on one part of it. But get this into your system. There are some incredible verses in the book of Philippians, encourage you to memorize them. In fact, may even be giving you some homework down the road. So yeah, you come to church and you get homework piled up on you. Uh, It's the Word of God. I think that's good kind of homework. And so just encourage you to even take that connection card that you have even right now or the notebook that you're using to to go along. You know what? Come up with your own commentary as we go through this. May may this be something that's going to last for for many years for you. So you may want to to journal and, and to bring a booklet with you as we go through this. And so this is God's Word. Make sure you're bringing God's Word with you so you can follow along as we we go through this. But even today, if we go to the next slide, if you can just take and write this down on your on your card. Just spread these out, okay? Because we're going to be talking. We're just going to do some of the background information on this. So write down theme, leave a little bit of space. Write down author, leave a little space. Write down audience, you know the drill. So, so just kind of, that's where we're going today. And you think, this looks boring. No, it isn't. It is actually pretty pretty exciting when, when you just even look at the background of this book. And, and I believe so much this is for you. This is for me, this series on the book of Philippians. And so the series is called This Mind, and it's taken, we read it during our worship time here. Dwayne read it a little earlier from Philippians 2 verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, developing the mind of Christ less of our minds and our way of thinking and more of the mind of Christ. And I think that's a pretty good mind to take on, isn't it? Um, taking the mind of Christ. And, and it's about developing this further and further, more and more in our lives. And the overriding theme of the book, so now we're going to progress, the overlining theme of the book is joy. 
okay? Joy in life. And, and over 20 times the word rejoice, the word happiness is referred to. And, and it's just by heavy concentration, the, the, the strongest book in the Bible that just focuses on this. It's, it's one of the most positive books in the Bible. It's a very uplifting, a lot of, you know, verses that you read in, in, in Christian cards, greeting cards, or on sometimes t-shirts, or on coffee mugs, or you go into someone's home. There are verses from Philippians that are used in, in order to encourage because it's a very positive book of the Bible. And so we're going to be looking at, at, at this in, in a very extreme kind of way over the next little bit. But by looking at Paul, the author's life, and even to the church, of, um, the church that he's writing to in Philippi, there's not a lot of reason, if you were to look at their outward circumstances, especially Paul's, but even the audience that he's writing to, there's not a lot of reason for them to be joyful. When you look at what they're going through, they shouldn't be singing on a worldly level. They shouldn't be singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart because everything around them doesn't look like they should be all that positive. But Paul is writing this letter to his dear friends and he's not writing it from Disneyland. Isn't Disneyland the happiest place on, although don't go to Disney right now because you might get, catch the measles. But I mean, it's not the happiest place on earth that he's writing from. And we're going to look at that. We're going to take a look. Where is he writing this from? And we're going to see that setting. And he's not writing it from a happy place in his life. And yet he's filled with joy. In fact, in, in chapter 4, verse 4, in the midst of not being in a very happy place, he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And I tell you again, rejoice. And he's not just telling them to do it. He's doing it himself. And so he's not just saying it. He's doing it. In this letter, he's not correcting a bunch of doctrinal beliefs like most of the other books that Paul has written in Ephesians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Colossians, Galatians. He's writing to kind of correct the church on some doctrinal issue, issues, some behavioral issues. But in the book of Philippians, he's not doing this. In fact, he is calling them to think differently, to change the way that they are thinking, to, to see things through a slightly different lens or a major lens kind of correction for, for how they're seeing things. And this book is the best book that we have in the New Testament that we have of what a maturing church looks like and what it looks like to mature as believers in Christ. And, and I believe that for every one of us here, if you know Christ, you want to grow up in him. You want to keep maturing and, and growing in, in your faith. None of us have arrived, nor will we arrive until we see Jesus face to face. And so until then, we continue to keep growing and, and more and more. And, uh, and, and one of the things that really hit me about this is that you can have the right doctrinal beliefs. You can know the Word of God. You can know it. You can know the doctrines. You can even have the right behavior and do everything the way that the Word of God says. And you, you know, you're a good little Christian example of how someone should live in the workplace, in the church, and even in the family. And you're raising this nice family and everything well, one looks and says, oh, that just looks so right. But if your mind isn't right, nothing is right. You can have the right beliefs. You can have the right mindset. But if your mind is right, it means very little. And so it's developing the right mind, the mind of Christ more and more in our lives. I wonder today how many of us need to or wish that we could just see life differently. The circumstances we're going through, we're, we're pretty discouraged. We're pretty worn out. We're pretty negative. We're pretty cynical. And it's just like something's got to change. 
What if those circumstances never change? Is life just going to stink until you die? Or, in and through those circumstances, can we start thinking differently, which will cause us to start living differently? And our outward circumstances may never change, but we can have joy, unspeakable joy, in the midst of the struggles. That's what Paul is calling us to, and that's a reality for him. And this is what he's calling to the Philippian church to as well. And in order for us to move and to progress in this series and through this book, we actually have to take some steps backwards. We got to take a look at sort of the background in the context for this book because it will just help you to understand it that much more. But the thing that I would love for you to get through your heads today, if I could pound this nail, is this is for me. Can you say that? This is for me. Now, turn to the person that is sitting on your right, and if there is no one on your right, turn to the person on your left and say, this is for you. So tell the person, this is for... Okay, now turn the other way, you know, and and tell the person that's sitting on the other side of you, this is for... Okay, now, now actually say it. I'm not just telling you as a suggestion, say it. This is for you. Okay, and for all of us, let's say it together. This is for Meldon. Okay? Because Meldon needs this. So say it to me. This is for Meldon. Okay? Because I need more of the mind of Christ. And I want to say to you, this is for you. This is for each one of us to develop more and more the mind of Christ, to find joy in the midst of our circumstances. Unspeakable joy. The mind of Christ. And so, we're going to read verse 1 of chapter 1 of Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. All right. So the author. Let's go on to the author of this book. And it's, we're told this right away. This is the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing this. Paul the Apostle. Now, you can read about Paul a little bit more in Acts chapter 9. So, write down beside there, beside Paul and Apostle, um, write down Acts 9. And you can read this a little later. I'm going to be reading a bit from it. But this book that he is writing, when he's writing this, it, it, it happened right around A.D. 60, about 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And, and what was Paul's name before he was saved? Saul. Okay, good. And what road was he headed to? He was on the road to where? Damascus. Right. And so as he, as Saul from, from where, where, where did he live? Saul from Tarsus. Good. Hey, that's, that's good that you, you folks know this. Um, Saul from Tarsus is heading to Damascus and he is there to go and to take out some Christians. He is there um, on the road He's a Pharisee. He's striving with all his religious might to keep the law, to prove his religious commitment. And, and today we have on TV the show, I saw a bit of it yesterday, called The Man Tracker. It's where some guy on a horse with a, some guy that he's with and a cameraman, and, and there's two contestants, and what they do is they give these two contestants a two-kilometer head start, and then they go anywhere from 17 to 36 kilometers away, and they have a destination that they're going to 
going to get to. And those two who are on foot are going to try to hide and try to make it to the finish line in the next 36 hours before the man tracker tracks them down. And so it's this TV show reality. I don't know how real it is in some ways because there's always camera guys running around. So how do they not see the camera? Oh, didn't see. I, I'm not sure how it worked. But the show goes on and, and this, this guy on a horse is tracking down his prey. Well, Paul was the original man tracker, if you want to call it, or Christian tracker. He was out trying to track down Christians, and he was putting them in jail, and even for some of them, he was, was putting them to death. And he was a part of the death of, of um, even Stephen that we read about in the book of Acts. And so Paul was totally committed to wiping out Christianity. Are we seeing that in our world today, people who are trying to wipe out Christianity? Yes, nothing has changed. Except Paul was doing it for the sake of the law, of the Old Testament law. He felt very justified, very right in doing this. And then it happened. On the road to Damascus, that bright light. Isn't it amazing to hear the stories even today of Muslims who are having visions of Jesus Christ? That are having similar experiences to the Apostle Paul? That's happening today in our world. And that's exciting to know that that people who are against Christ are finding Christ. And that's what happened to Paul. He was against Christ, but then everything changed. And and, and there on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him in the, the radiance that was so bright and so powerful, he was blinded. This past week, we... We changed some lights in our, in our house from some halogens to some energy-efficient bulbs. And after we got them changed, I was standing up on a chair and I thought the fixtures looked a little dirty. So I was wiping them and I left the light switch on. It, which was kind of silly because afterwards, after I stepped down from the chair, after wiping them, I couldn't see very much. All I saw were these white things going all around, and I had to go downstairs. And as I went down, I was gripping that handrail because I could not see. And even I came back upstairs, and I sat on the couch, and everything was still kind of moving around for a little bit because of the brightness of those brand new lights that we have. And, and, and they're pretty nice lights. They're pretty bright, just like these ones that we have here in the worship center. You know, you look at them long enough, they're going to give you some spots in the eyes. Well, here, Paul, is blinded by this bright light, the radiance of Jesus Christ, and he hears the voice. And what voice, what, what, what ended up getting said to him here in, in Acts 9 verse 4? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. For three days, Paul saw nothing. He saw absolutely nothing. He was blinded. Blinded by the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what the radiance of Christ must be like? Paul was changed. He was changed in those three days of time to think about and go over his mind what he experienced and and how Jesus showed up to him. and, And he became a Christian. From tracking down Christians, he became one of them. And that is the starting point. Folks, that's the starting point for each one of us. Do you know Christ personally? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? You see, you just don't become a Christian by hanging around other Christians or by going to church. You don't become a Christian because your parents are Christians. To become a Christian involves a deliberate, willful response to God at some point in your life. It's not just because you hang around girls that all of a sudden one day, oh, I'm married. 
It doesn't happen like that, does it? No, you've you got you to gotta make a decision. You gotta, and you've got to find someone to make that decision with you. And, and then after you say, I will or I do, and, and husbands keep saying that constantly throughout the rest of their married lives, it would seem, or should be saying that sort of thing, um, you come to that, to that point in your life of saying, I'm in. I'm doing this. Let's go. And the same thing for us spiritually. It comes to the point where we say, Jesus, I'm in. I want to follow you. And we surrender our lives to him. We ask him to forgive us of our sins. We surrender ourselves to him. And the question is, I don't want to take it for granted. Have you done that personally? Have you come to the point of receiving him as your Lord and as your Savior? You see, that's the starting point. It's about knowing Christ personally. Salvation, redemption, this is for me. It is for you. This is for you, salvation, being redeemed by Jesus Christ. So that's some of the background of, of Paul, who is the author of, of this. But, but it also goes on to mention Paul and Timothy. Now, Timothy was a faithful friend of Paul's. He was much younger. It would seem that, that Timothy got saved while Paul was on his second or on his first missionary journey when he went to this uh, city called Lystra. And there was this young boy. He was a, from a Gentile home. And he, it was there that he either received Christ or had received Christ before that and grew up in his faith over the next number of years. When Paul comes through on the second missionary journey, which we're going to look at in a few moments, he sees this young disciple, Timothy. He sees this young man growing up in the faith. And he says, why don't you come with me? Why don't you, you know what, be part of the team here. Be part of this ministry team. And all throughout Paul, the apostle's great work that he did and how he penned the books of the Bible, how he planted churches, how he's this amazing preacher. He was all of that because of the power of the Holy Spirit, but because he had faithful partners who walked with him, who were there with him. He had Silas with him, which we're going to read about in a little bit. Dr. Luke followed him around, writing everything down at his own personal physician. He kind of had this entourage of people, and Timothy, at the time of writing, was there with Paul. And so he was there as a faithful servant. The gospel flourishes through, communi- through, through community and through partnerships. You cannot go and, and do the work of Christ that he calls us to do on your own. You need others standing with you. You need others praying with you. You need others that are, are working alongside of you. That is the way the gospel flourishes. And Paul desperately relied on people like Timothy. Timothy was all in. You think about it. I mean, he gets invited to be part of Paul's team, which I'm sure was like, Mom, can you believe it? He's invited me to be part of the crew, and we're going to be going on on some of these journeys, and we're going to plant some churches, and the gospel is going to be preached. And so Paul, you know, you know, probably went to Timothy and said, "Okay, Timothy, what does Mom say? Are you in?" And because we know he's young, and and he's he's like, "Yeah, I get to go." He says, "Okay, Timothy, how committed are you?" "Oh, I'm in. I'll do whatever it takes." "Okay, Timothy, let's get you circumcised." It's one of the first things that he was asked. What? Well, he was a Gentile. He was never circumcised. And the Jewish boys were all circumcised. And, and he didn't have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Christ because that was, was kind of a big deal that, in that day, saying you've got to follow the law and there's Christ. And Paul is saying, no, it's nothing but Christ. But Paul is telling Timothy, okay, so that you're not a stumbling block to those around us, it would be better if you get circumcised. For a young child, a young boy, um, who's 
young, newborn, that's one thing. For that procedure to take place for older men, that's another thing. Not only is it humiliating, it's painful. And there are times when it comes to us serving Christ and saying, yes, I'm in, and yes, I'm going to follow you. It's going to hopefully not hurt like that, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful at times. It's not going to be easy. And Timothy, right early on, said, I'm in. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Are you willing to do whatever it takes in your following of Christ? If you are, watch out. There is a role and a run that he wants to take you on. It's not going to be the easiest, but boy, is it going to be worth it. Are you willing to make the sacrifice? Timothy was someone who was willing to make the sacrifice. Here he is, a faithful servant, and here he's with Paul at a very downtime in his life, and he's there to encourage him. We'll get into that in a little bit. But the gospel flourishes through community, through partnerships like this. When I started in ministry, Many years ago, I started out as a youth, young adult pastor in Saskatoon. I went through my training. I did my internship. I, I, I got my degree. I took out a year to work. And then I found this church to go to. And it was about a five-year-old church plant that I got to go to. I went in as, as the second guy on staff. And I was so excited about it. But I got my office. I got everything unpacked. We had just moved into a new facility. And it's just like, awesome. I'm a pastor. And I sat down at my desk. I'm like, what do I do now? I had no clue. I mean, my training, everything, all of a sudden I'm just like, well, I don't know. And, but the great thing is I was partnered. The guy that I got to work with was a very seasoned pastor. At that time he was probably in his early 60s, I believe. And, and he had been a church planter. Little did I know that some of that training and some of that would, would, would come to roost and, and help me after many years of ministry for myself. But I didn't know what to do. And so I kind of thought, you know what? I'm just going to learn from him. I'm going to run with him. I'm going to see what it takes to be a pastor in a church plant kind of situation like that. And man, did we ever go on a run. At times I was frustrated by him. And I know for sure at times, especially when the youth kind of trashed the church a few times on a Friday night with a few events and that. I'm sure I, and, and he, he would come into the sanctuary one, one Saturday morning, big hole in, in, the, in the gyp rock in the sanctuary. And, but you know what? By Sunday morning you walked in there, you didn't even see it. He had that thing repaired. I mean, I, I don't know how he did it. Uh, he was just a gifted, gifted man. I learned so, I haven't learned how to repair holes in gyp rock, um, but thanks to, to, to Nate and a friend, I'm going to learn that this week, I guess. Um, and so there's always good training. So maybe I can go back to dear old Pastor Regeer on something like that. But anyways, I'm, I'm thankful for, for being able to learn from someone who was older and seasoned. And, and, and sometimes it was frustrating. And yet, it was also so amazing to be able to walk alongside this guy. And I know today that this is a man in Saskatoon who continues to pray for us. And he continues to pray for our family and he's praying for this church. And I am so thankful that over the years then as I went on to become a, a senior pastor in Alberta and then coming here to Kelowna, of the, at times it's been staff people, but oftentimes it's been the, the lay volunteers, the people, the elders, the, the, the ministry leaders, the people who are just there and, and they come along and say, what needs to be done? I'm here, I'm in, use me. I'm here ready to do whatever. When you have people like that with a heart for service for Jesus Christ, not their reputation but his, watch out. 
And that is what caused the gospel to flourish as Paul went about. This wasn't just a Paul show. This was a Paul and Timothy and Silas and, and, and Dr. Luke and others that were part of Paul. And Peter were together for a while. I mean, and, and a guy by the name of Barnabas. There, there was a lot of things that, that, that kind of transpired in there. And the gospel moved ahead. Not always without friction, but it moved ahead with faithful servants. So we have Paul and Timothy faithful servants, goes on to the church, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So let's take a look at the audience. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the overseers and to the deacons. He's writing to the entire church, it says here in verse 1. To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Notice he's talking about that there's, there's proper church leadership. There's, there, there's overseers, there's elders, there are those giving spiritual direction, and, and the word overseer can be interchanged for the word elder, pastor in there. And so there's, there's elders, pastors that he's writing to is the overseers and then the deacons, and oftentimes they carry out a lot of the daily work, the daily responsibilities. So he's writing to the leadership, and he's writing to the people. But notice how he addresses them. To the saints in Christ Jesus. The congregation, he's calling them saints. And this is such an awesome thing, that if you are in Christ, you are a saint. He sees you as a saint. A saint means someone who is set apart by God for himself. Now, the Catholic Church has, has kind of taken that word and has kind of misused it, not in a biblical way, that in order to be a saint, you have to be dead for so many years, and in order to be canonized, you then, in your death, once dead, you perform some miracles, some miracles attributed to you, as well as a number of other things. Martyrdom would also be a really good cause for somebody to become a saint, and, and, and so th- there's all these different rules. That's, that's not what it is, is about. The biblical version, the biblical term saint is for anyone who is in Christ, who has been declared righteous. We have been, our righteousness has been imputed by Christ for us. You are a saint if you are in Christ. And so he's writing to the congregation. He's writing to those who are in Christ. And so he's writing to the church in Philippi. Now let's do a little study on the The city of Philippi, this is kind of important. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be looking at some some verses in there. And this is pretty cool how this all came about here for the church in Philippi. This is where we find some really important information. And so we actually even have a map on this. And um, the map, you're not going to be able to see it really well, but in the back of, if you have a study Bible especially, you're going to have some of this um, there with you. And so one of the things, let's go to the map um, of of Philippi or um, of the missionary journey at this time. So Paul and Silas are headed out on their second missionary tour. And so I I, I needed a pointer stick, and I just happened to have this in the garage. It's actually a cattle Uh, a whip for cattle. So if anyone falls asleep, just watch out. You just may uh, have a little gentle reminder that, uh, that you are loved. And, and so we have this wonderful little thing here. So, so the, the missionary journey starts here in Jerusalem, okay? And they head up over into here, and it's up in this area, up in there, in Lystra, I stand up on here, uh, this is where they, they pick up Timothy and say, Timothy, come along with us. And so during this time, they're strengthening and encouraging the churches that had been started during the first missionary tour. So they're heading up into there, and then it's time to go plant some churches. And so they're all amped up, ready to go, Paul and, and his team, and, and they start heading up into, into the regions in, into here. But as you read in Acts chapter 16... They go into Pergia and Galatia, which are somewhere. 
up into this area. They head up into this area and they get shut down. Then they say, well, let's go a little further up to Bithynia. And so they start heading up towards that area and they get shut down again. They're thinking, what's going on? Is it opposition that's shutting them down? No, as you read about it, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is stopping them here. We just want to plant churches. We want to preach the gospel. We want to get the news out. And they're not even allowed to do it. Somehow, as they're kind of going into this area, totally unreached area with the gospel, and they keep getting shot down. Told, no, don't go here. Don't go here. And finally, they end up over into, they figure, well, let's, let, let's just keep on going. And, and, and they're traveling literally hundreds of kilometers by foot. And they're doing a lot of little detours as they're going along. And I'm sure this was a very confusing time for the Apostle Paul. And when you read this in context of Acts 15 and Acts into Acts 16, you see, I'm sure Paul is wondering what's going on. He had had a big falling out with one of his crew members. They decided... He and Barnabas decided to part ways. One went in one direction, the other went the other way. And now they're wanting to go and spread the gospel up into these areas. And it's just frustrating. They keep getting shot down. There's no fruit. There's nothing happening. And it's just like, what's happening? So they end up in Troas, which is there on the corner, just when it ends up going down a little bit. And there they are wondering, what is going on? What is happening? But in verse 9 and 10... Of Acts 16, we read this. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come on over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So there they are in Troas. And they have to jump on a ship. And they're like, woohoo, we're going to Europe, baby. They we're heading to Europe. The gospel hadn't gone there yet. And they're heading into an area where it would be very dark, would be very difficult. But they, they head on over to Macedonia, which is today, which is modern day in areas of Europe. And this is an area here that they head to in Greece. And that's where they end up going. And so what ends up happening from this time of frustration and, and questioning and just wondering what is happening ends up happening through this dry season for Paul of wandering results in some pretty incredible things. Paul kept going. He didn't pack it in. He kept on, just, he, he kept, kept his feet moving. He kept trying to preach the gospel. And all while this was happening, God was molding and shaping and building his servant and his team And so oftentimes, folks, in our own life, when we go through periods of dryness, of difficulty, of frustration, where it's like everything we do just seems we're hitting up against a wall, keep on going. Don't stop. Because out of dryness comes fruitfulness. If we keep trusting, if we keep following. Oh, the temptation to pack it in and quit. I'm sure Paul could have been justified to to just say, you know what, I'm done with this. God, you're so confusing. I'm wanting to serve you. And, and we go here, and you're like, no, don't go there. And, and, and back and forth, what's going on? But Paul and his team ended up coming into a very special time in their lives. Well, it was kind of interesting. 
So they get to Macedonia, modern-day Greece, and, and they head on to Philippi because that's one of the major cities there. And, and, and there, there it was in, in Macedonia was that guy from the vision saying, Paul, come on over. Paul, tell us about this Jesus that you know. Does that happen? No. There's no guy standing there asking about Jesus. Instead, they walk around Philippi and it's like, this is just a godless place. There's nothing There's no synagogue. What's happening? I mean, this is going to be very, very interesting. And and so they get to Philippi, and and there's no guy from the vision. There's no amazing core group just, just waiting there saying, Oh, Paul, tell us of this Jesus. Not at all. And so they're wandering around and, and, and see that there's nothing. Philippi was known for industry, agriculture, the art. They had highly educated people, a lot of wealthy people. And so Paul and his crew are walking around. They find no synagogue because what Paul usually would do is find the synagogue people who are still observing the, the, the Jewish laws and customs. And he would go in there and he would just start talking about Jesus. And people would get saved. And some rumbles would break out, and he'd usually end up in jail a little bit. But the gospel would go forth as churches would get planted. And then he'd move on to another city for a time. And so here is Paul, can't find a synagogue. So what do they do? They go out of town. And in verse 12, it says this. Because God had something different for him. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So there's a ladies' Bible study going on. He can't even find a synagogue, and there's a a ladies' study, a, a prayer time going on, and there's this lady by the name of Lydia, who is a seller of purple linen. Something very rare, something very expensive, And so it would seem, we would gather from God's word that she did very well for herself. She was very wealthy. But here's this woman by the name of Lydia and some other women. She believed in God. She worshipped God. She prayed. But she didn't know Jesus. She needed someone to tell her. You know, we have many spiritual, very religious people here in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces. But they don't know Jesus. And Paul engages with her. He reasons with her, and she ends up becoming a believer. And she went being from religious to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. She gets so amped up, so excited, she gets baptized right away, and her entire family ends up coming to know Christ. And she says, Paul, you and the team, come stay at my place. And because of she, her being a seller of purple linen and, and inviting the crew to come stay at her place, it was probably a pretty sweet hangout. And I'm sure like Paul and the, and the group are thinking, wow, we've arrived now. Look at this. It's like, it, it, it's like a timeshare that we get to hang out here and get to go do ministry in this nice, nice house that Lydia has here for us and we get to do ministry. Woohoo! We kind of hit it. So they continue on with ministry. Paul's faithful and, and, and we, we see that, that the team one day they're heading to go pray. They're heading to a prayer meeting. But finally, Paul had enough because there was this huge distraction and pain that is going on. And so in verse 17, you see this woman, this slave girl was, was hounding them was going around yelling some things out. And, and, and it says, She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. I mean, what she was speaking was truth. Even demons know the truth about Jesus. 
The demons testify to Jesus, but she was being a distraction. She, she was making, you know what, the meetings and the prayer times difficult. She would just follow them around and would just be harassing them. And, and even though she was speaking the truth, and, and Paul was just, he, he was driving him crazy. So finally, he, he said, enough. And in verse 18, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. She was free. A demonized slave girl was set free. So here's the start to the church. A very well-to-do businesswoman, slave girl, formerly demonized. Two opposite ends of this social structure. Hey, let's start a church. Hmm, interesting. Well, it gets more interesting. The owners of the slave girl are mad. They are ticked off about this. They, they were getting an income because she would be a fortune teller. People would come to her, pay a certain amount of money to the owners. She would tell them uh, their fortunes. And, and so she was making a lot of money for them. And the owners were quite upset and also must have had some political pull because they had Paul and Silas arrested, thrown into jail, not just thrown into jail, but stripped naked, beaten with rods, it says, with many blows. And then they were thrown into the inner part of the prison with many stocks on their, with stocks in their hands. I mean, they were taking them as some pretty serious prisoners. They were pretty ticked. And what are Paul and Silas doing in prison? Beaten up from, from many blows from, from a rod. I mean, it wasn't even a nice, gentle little um, whip like, like this. I mean, these were, were no doubt metal or wood rods that they're just getting whipped at. Probably 39 lashes that, that they ended up receiving. And so they're in prison with probably some very sore backs and, 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 and naked. And, and what are they doing? Oh God, what are you doing? This isn't fair. This isn't right. What are you doing? You've abandoned us and we're just trying to, you know, and, and giving. No, they're praising they're praising God. They're, they're singing. And, and the other prisoners are listening to them. And, 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 and I, I wonder if they were singing, you know, what kind of modern, you know, what songs they might have been singing to us. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. I mean, just giving it, right? I mean, they're, they're worshiping. They're praising God. They're, they're lifting high the name of Jesus. In verse 26 of Acts chapter 16. It says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Everyone was free. And when the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, and I love this, underline this in your Bibles, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him and, and to all who were within his house. And he took him, he took them the very same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, and he and all his family. Then he brought them out into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. I was talking with John McMullen, our, the board chairman of, of our church of from our sending church in Oakville this morning, and I was telling him a bit about this message and something that uh, someone had just shared with him, and I think it, it, it's a very important word for us. Um, I said, John, I, I've got to write this down. That God often 
from the darkness in our lives, we're never alone, but he oftentimes does great and amazing things in the midst of those dark times. As we praise him, as we worship him, as we lead from the darkness. It's completely dark in that prison. And yet, in the dark time, in the difficult time, wondering what's going on, with an attitude of praising God and worshiping him, having the mind of Christ. That's why this series is so important that we develop this mind of Christ that it can end up becoming incredible seasons of fruitfulness. So now you have Lydia, the businesswoman. You have the slave girl. And then you have this jailer who was probably sent out from Rome and was probably not very dearly loved by the people. And so this are the first number of converts in Harvest Bible Chapel Philippi. Um, Now, I doubt it was actually called that, but I mean, as Paul now, later on in his life, is looking back at these days, he's looking at these days with incredible fondness because what started there with a very strange group of people, rich businesswoman, poor slave girl, Roman jailer, all and their families coming to Christ, what a core group that started to found The gospel went forth, the church was planted, people got saved, and this church ended up becoming a huge encouragement to Paul 10 to 15 years later. What hope? That's the story of the gospel. And I believe Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna, how God has brought people together over the last number of years, seeking God in prayer. There is something, however, though, about that group and what drives a church that is going to be a church that has life, there's a common thread in each one of those salvation stories. Did you see what that common thread was in in each one of the stories? For the jailer, for the slave girl, for uh, the rich businesswoman? What was the common theme? Prayer. They were praying. Paul was heading out to prayer. Another one, when they're, the slave girl, they were heading to a place of prayer. Prayer was a part of their lives. The jailer, what were they doing? They were praising, they were worshiping, they were praying to God. And as that thread goes through our lives, through our families, through our church, God honors that people get saved. The lost get found. The found grow up and mature more and more in Christ. That's what happens. And I think of harvest here in Kelowna, how God has brought people together. And I believe that if the thread of prayer and worshiping and, and, and seeking him and serving him, even through dry spells in our own lives, even through dry spells or difficult periods for us as, as a church, that will come. No doubt will happen. The enemy doesn't want to see a church go forward, doesn't want to see the gospel preached, doesn't want to see Jesus' name lifted high, doesn't want to see people in prayer on their knees in an authentic way. There will be that, but as we press on and we continue on for his glory, incredible things will take place. We find Lydia praying. We find the slave girl being set free as a result of them heading to a prayer meeting. And through praise and worship, the prisoner is set free. This is how a church starts. This is how a church grows. That's why our prayer times, as I mentioned earlier, are so important 
on Wednesday nights at the end of the month as we gather together as an entire church. There's other prayer gatherings that I'm thankful for. Sunday mornings at 9.15, we have a stop, drop, and pray. Anyone is encouraged to come and be part of that. And then after that, there's been groups of people that continue to pray. There's actually a book that I would strongly encourage you. I, I brought 12 home from Ontario last week, and, and there's only a few left. It's called Transformational Prayer. And if you want to be challenged on, on, in your prayer life and seeking the face of God, you can. we have a few copies that are available for $10. You can pick one up there. If we run out, we're going to order more of them and have them for you. And, and uh, just encourage you to be in prayer and seeking God together as a church, as individuals. Allow God to transform your prayer life. And, and, and as we pray, things happen. So, so back to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to wrap this up right away here. It's now 10 to 15 years later after this church got its, its kind of awkward but wonderful start. And Paul in Philippians 1 is longing to see these people again. You have Paul. He's not a super emotional guy, but in this book you see the emotion. He's like, I love these people. I just wish I could see them again. Where's Paul writing from? Where's the place of writing? Well, years ago, people, when they would travel and go somewhere quite nice, as soon as you would get to your destination, you would go to a souvenir shop and you would buy some of these. You would buy a souvenir card. Um, do we have that picture here? Yeah, you know, just, you know, hey, I'm in Paris, hey, I'm in China, or hey, I'm in Russia, or where, wherever it is. And, and they would write, and, and you would hope that by the time you get home, the people have already received them, and they, they don't get the postcards after you already get home. You kind of let them know, but, you know, that's kind of old technology. Now with social media, you can let people know pretty instantly, pretty much instantly where you are. You know, like, I, I saw this uh, on social media just, just the other day. A friend of mine posted this. Let's go on to the next picture here. Yeah, there, there's a friend of mine, you can tell by those big ugly feet, it's a guy, um, t- taking a picture of his feet and the ocean. And, and you know, and, and usually there's some comment of like, oh, this is nice, or, you know, greetings from wherever, or, or whatever they might want to put on there. Or, I mean, here, here's another one, you can use Instagram for something like, oh, this is someone from our church recently, uh, grandfather, grandson in Hawaii, and, and gets posted on Instagram, you know. And, and these kind of things are, you know, a kind of, you know, just a... a a, a way to kind of state, hey, this is where I'm at, this is where I am. And, and so Paul's writing this letter, and it's such an upbeat, personal, wonderful letter. He must be writing this from a little Mediter- Mediterranean cottage somewhere, somewhere on the ocean, just enjoying the sun, enjoying, you know what, some nice food and, and, and fruit, and, and, and just, just having a wonderful time. Is, is that where Paul is writing this upbeat, positive, personal letter from? No, this, this would be Paul's postcard on social media. Let's go on to the next one. Yeah, he's writing from prison. Probably in Rome is where he is putting in time. And even though he's in prison in the darkness, he's still leading. He's still caring. He's still loving. The gospel is still moving forward as he takes and writes this note of encouragement, this letter to the church in Philippi. Though outwardly he's suffering, he's wasting away, his future's uncertain, inwardly he's being renewed because he's doing the work of the gospel, even from the prison. He's writing to these people who are also struggling, who are also going through a hard time. People who are being opposed, people who are engaged, it, we read at the end of chapter 1, who are engaged in the same kind of conflict that Paul is in. These people are facing opposition. These people are facing some discouraging things around them. And so he's writing to them 
to encourage them, to challenge them, to keep on going, to develop the mind of Christ. Get your eyes off of your circumstances. Get it on Christ. And so today I wonder, as we wrap this up, I wonder how many of us find ourselves in freedom today, but we're in prison. We have a lot of freedoms to spend our time, our money. We can go on a trip, post some wonderful pictures. But on the inside, we're in prison. And the prisons that we find ourselves in today are often silence. We don't like to talk about it. We want to keep smiling and pretending that everything's okay. Maybe it's a prison of fear, of anxiety. A prison of a body that is not functioning the way that it ought to and you've got some serious concerns. Prison of a job that's frustrating, pointless, tiring, taxing. Prison of hurt, betrayal. Prison of financial distress. Maybe it's of loneliness or you long for, for company and you don't have that. Or maybe it's a prison of unfulfilled dreams. You just wish you could bust out of your life and be all who that you really down deep want to be. And you just feel so restricted and dark. Maybe it's depression. This past week was a week in, in our nation where a lot of time was given to the mental struggles that come along with depression and we'll no doubt address this in this series because it's a very real thing. But when there's depression, it seems like life is like a, a long tunnel and there's no end and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's dark. At times maybe there are even those here in this room that you just want to quit. You just want to quit life. Paul is writing in prison, behind bars, saying there are resources for life, not just for this life, but there are resources available to you for joy in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, burdened, weary. And it comes as we develop the mind of Christ. May the mind of Christ dwell in us richly. May we allow God's mind to transform us in these weeks ahead. You see, Paul had opportunities many times to give up, but he didn't. He pressed on. He was willing to, to lay it all down and to give it his all. And as he did, the mind of Christ has been transformed, his, his inward body, and he had much to give to others. May we as followers of Christ, with minds being renewed, even in our darkness, even in our confusion or our frustration or wherever we're at, be in the process of being renewed and strengthened by his spirit. Father in heaven, we come to you now and this is our prayer that we would develop the mind of Christ, that the mind of Christ would grow in us more and more. Just thank you for this incredible story.
from this book of faithful followers of Christ, people who said yes to serving you, following you. And, and, and we can't help but to think what happened to Lydia and to that slave girl and to the Roman jailer as they, they started forming this church and as, as people got saved and as elders, as deacons were, uh, were appointed and there was a pastor that was a part of that congregation and, and how that church became a life-giving church to Paul and to so many others. And Father, we pray that, that, that out of our brokenness, out of our, uh, what we could look at, as um, setbacks in life that we would allow you to do something new and we would be able to be used by by you for your glory to touch people in our family, in our workplaces, in the city, and our nation. Thank you, God, that that you just don't uh, leave us helpless and, and, and hopeless, but that our lives, our minds can be renewed day by day and this happens through you, Jesus. It doesn't happen by keeping the law. It comes by being saved by Jesus Christ. Through Christ and Christ alone, may we put our faith, our hope, and our trust.